Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? Doing great today, Tim, because it is a very special day. We have a very special episode coming up, but it's special in other ways because it's Halloween. So I just want to say happy Halloween to you, sir. How are you? Yes, I'm doing well. Yes, happy Halloween indeed. And today on Crawl Space, we're going to be talking about the serial killer known as the Alphabet Killer, otherwise known as Joseph Nasso. That's his name. But we're going to get into it. Before we do, we just want to send a thanks to our fantastic researcher, Marianne Stone-White, for this research. But before we get to that great piece of research that Marianne put together, we're going to break real quick for commercial. And we'll be right back with Joseph Nasso, the Alphabet Killer. Joseph Nassau was born January 7th, 1934, and he lived in New York, California, and Nevada. He was ultimately apprehended in 2011 in Reno, Nevada, and convicted of four counts of murder. And he is serving life in prison in San Quentin as we speak. 89 years old and on death row in San Quentin, Joseph Nassau was born in Rochester, New York in 1934, served in the Air Force in the 1950s. This is where he met his wife, Judith, and they had a son named Charles. Charles was eventually diagnosed with schizophrenia, and Nassau was said to have taken care of him in the later years. After 18 years of marriage, Joseph and Judith divorced. They lived in San Francisco and Nevada in the following years, but he apparently still visited her in the East Bay area where she lived on many occasions. During this time, Nassau worked as a freelance photographer and attended community college in Oakland, and this was in the mid-1970s. And then we'll jump forward to 1994. Nassau was arrested for petty theft in Sutter County near Yuba City. And in 95, Nassau was arrested for attempting to steal 30 pairs of women's underwear from a department store. Then in 2003, he was arrested in Sacramento for shoplifting from a local food store. And he was later paroled, but when he didn't show up for a scheduled visit with his parole officer on April 13, 2010, his PO, Wes Jackson, decided to pay Nassau a visit at his home. As we learn more about Nassau, that number of underwear, the 30 that he stole, starts to come into play a little bit based on the victim list and his motivations with them. Uh, there's some sources say that under Nassau's parole terms, his house could be searched at any time without a warrant. However, other sources say that after entering Nassau's house, Jackson saw an advertisement for a gun several cartridges around the house. Because this was a parole violation, a search warrant was obtained. Either way, the search turned into much more than Nassau's parole officer ever imagined. And officers ultimately found a total of four guns, ammunition, handcuffs, and police officer uniforms. And they also found many nude and semi-nude photos and videos of young women, many of whom appeared unconscious or even dead. Nasso tried to explain these away by saying they were all part of his job as a freelance photographer and that none of it was actually real. 
but officers discovered a room in his house that could only be accessed from the outside. And there was a small area cut out of the door where things could be passed through without opening the door, which is kind of like a jail cell. And the window on the door was also the only one on the house that was equipped with metal bars. Couldn't imagine being the officers discovering all this and realizing as you're discovering it how it's all coming together, how this is so much more than what you thought it was going to be going into it. The dresser drawers in a bedroom were packed with women's clothing, which seemed odd since no one else appeared to be living there at the time. There were a pair of mannequin legs turned upside down wearing pantyhose. Nasso claimed he wore pantyhose because of a skin condition on his leg, but Jackson noted that Nasso wasn't wearing pantyhose at the time. He was just wearing socks. And also found during the search was a diary in Nassau's bedroom that contained information about several different women. This diary came to be known later on in court as the, quote, dump journal, end quote, and the, quote, rape diary, end quote. One of the entries read, quote, girl in North Buffalo Woods, she was real pretty, front seat of my car, had to knock her out first, 1958, end quote. And another that read, quote, Selena, Kansas, girl I followed and met at Fred Astaire Dance Studio. She was gorgeous. Great legs in nylons, heels. Had to rape her in my car on a cold, wintry night, snowstorm, end quote. Sort of says something about his ego that he felt the need to document these in a diary, which is really interesting to me. Yeah, or he's trying to remember these details for some reason. Right. So this information about what was found during the search of Nassau's house obviously is extremely alarming, but possibly the biggest piece of evidence found is what officers called a short list. This was a list numbered from 1 to 10, but did not provide specific names. Instead, on this paper, named by Nassau the list of 10, there's, quote, list of 10, there were the words, quote, lady or, quote, girl, followed by a location which was where he supposedly met or first saw each of those women. Once investigators started looking into these places, they found that six women had been killed in six of the listed areas. The other four locations are still undetermined. That is wild. And police also discovered a stash of notebooks, which had apparently been written years after the so-called dump journal or rape diary. In these notebooks, NASA recounts graphic descriptions of bondage, torture, and murder. Some of these appeared to be crimes he had already committed, while others were written more like an instructional manual for crimes he intended to commit in the future. I mean, it almost feels like he wanted this information to be out there if he got caught because it seems like you're putting together an instructional manual. It's really striking to me as an incredibly organized serial killer. Nassau was ultimately arrested for probation violations and spent the next year in a Nevada prison. Then a year later, Nassau was awaiting trial on charges of murdering four women. The four women were all prostitutes who were strangled to death. The thing about these murders is that they seem to follow the plot of the Agatha Christie novel, The ABC Murders, where the first letter of each victim's first and last name are the same. These murders became to be known as the alphabet murders or the double initial killings. 
And on January 10th, 1977, the body of 18-year-old Roxine Rogash was found near Fairfax, California. And wearing a pair of pantyhose, she also had her hands and feet bound with a pair of pantyhose, and another pair was stuffed into her mouth. And police determined she had only been dead for a day, and because police suspected she was a prostitute, they believed she had been killed by a local pimp. However, there was never enough evidence to move forward with a case against him. But her family denies she was ever involved in sex work at all. Moving on to August 13, 1978, the body of a nude female was found by a highway patrol officer on Carquinas Scenic Highway. The body was later identified to be that of 22-year-old Carmen Cologne. This case soon went cold because of the lack of evidence. And 15 years later, 38-year-old waitress Pamela Parsons was found dead in Yuba County. She had ligature marks on her wrists and neck, and her hyoid bone had been broken, which is typical in some cases of strangulation, as this is a small horseshoe-shaped bone in the middle of the neck. And in the following year, 1994, 31-year-old Tracy Tafoya was also found dead in Yuba County. She had been drugged raped, and dumped in a cemetery. It's believed her body had been dumped there around a week prior to her being found. And because of all the evidence found during the search of his house, authorities from multiple states believe that Nassau is actually responsible for several other murders across the United States. And while no one has stated a figure or even attempted to estimate the potential number of victims, police do believe that Nassau committed several rapes and murders across the country from California to New York to Florida. In addition to the diary, notebooks, and photos found in his house, authorities also discovered a number of driver's licenses, passports, and work identification cards belonging to women. They even found a birth certificate of a woman born in 1914. Authorities believe it is very likely that NASA was operating undetected for many years and that there were likely other victims out there that haven't been discovered yet. And I think that's pretty clear just with the way he describes the sexual assault that he performs on these women. It's so nonchalant and passive. It's almost as if he's talking about taking someone out on a date. And it wouldn't be a surprise to me at all if there were at least a couple dozen more victims. And knowing that it's likely NASA was committing these heinous crimes for over half a century, police now say that he could probably have been stopped earlier. Over the years, several women went to police to report themselves or their daughters being sexually assaulted by NASA. And he was charged with rape at least twice, but each time it was regarded with indifference at best by the authorities. And at least once, police reportedly told Nassau to leave town to avoid arrest. Sounds like a really responsible way to address an issue of a rape allegation. Just get out of town. If you don't want to be arrested, get out of town. And in 2012, as he awaited trial for the four murders, authorities continued to investigate him. And the following are just some of the cases that could possibly be connected back to NASA or at least had been looked at. The first one we're going to talk about is South Lake Tahoe's cold case files, which include the 1976 murder of 17-year-old Kathleen Keohane. Kathleen's body was found under the Truckee River Bridge. Her skull was crushed by something sharp. No suspects or motive have yet been identified in her case. 
and Marina Mitchell disappeared from the American River Canyon in 1976. Searchers combed the area for weeks. Her decomposed body washed ashore not far from where she was last seen. Foul play was ruled out because the leads were short and there was no intent, but investigators admitted they may never know how Mitchell actually died. And Tim, this brings us to the point where we should probably talk about Sheila Shepard's case. Absolutely. And of course, we've covered Sheila Shepard's unsolved murder pretty extensively here on the Crawl Space and Missing Airwaves. We even spun it off into its own podcast feed. So if you want to hear more about Sheila Shepard's unsolved murder, just search The Murder of Sheila Shepard in your podcatcher. Sheila Shepard was murdered in Saratoga Springs in her apartment, November 23rd, 1980. She was suffocated with her blouse and her cause of death was ruled as asphyxiation. So it was kind of just uh, her blouse was stuffed into her mouth. So that kind of reminds me of some of these other cases in, uh, in NASA's story. And it's a little different from NASA's MO in that Sheila wasn't the victim of an aggressive sexual assault. She was found without any clothes on, on her bed tied her hands, her wrists, and her ankles tied in a spread eagle fashion. She had the knife in her stomach that was inflicted post-mortem, but there was no physical sexual assault. I mean, the attack itself is sexual in nature, but this one stands out from Nasso in that there was no actual sexual aggression going on, which would be an outlier with Nasso because that was his main objective, was to have that sexual act occur. And just for a little context here, Rochester is 220 miles away from Saratoga Springs, and that's about a three-and-a-half-hour drive. And Nassau would have been about 46 at the time of Sheila Shepard's murder. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. And as the investigation of Nassau continues, his former wife, Judith, visited him at the Washoe County Jail. The police monitored the conversation as Nassau told her to enlist the help of their eldest son. He said, quote, once Charlie gets into my house, tell him to go straight to my bedroom. In the top drawer of the dresser under my socks is a blue two by four inch pouch envelope containing my safe deposit keys. I've got things in there that are private. Nasso said, according to the court papers. And detectives found a black zippered bag with an envelope in a safety deposit box at a Reno bank. In it, there were 66 photographs of women naked or in various states of undress alongside various identification documents belonging to several different women. And there was a passport and driver's license in the name of Sarah Dillon, a woman who used to be called Renee Shapiro. And Shapiro had changed her name to that of Bob Dylan's first wife as an homage to the singer and was on her way to a Bob Dylan concert 20 years earlier when she actually went missing. And Shapiro had followed Dylan to performances across the U.S. and abroad for years. And so that safety deposit box also held a piece of paper on which Nassau wrote, quote, May 4th, 1992, Monday, p.m., end quote. And that is the time of the Dylan concert that Shapiro never made it to. Oh, my God. It makes you wonder how long he had been stalking this individual. And when we had mentioned that he'd stolen the 30 pairs of underwear from the 
department store, it seems to me like it's so premeditated that he's going to take pictures of women, dress them how he wants to dress them, including the underwear that either he's purchased or stolen, pantyhose that he's purchased or stolen. And that's just a level of psychosis that I would love to talk to somebody about because this is, again, so premeditated and planned if that was the case. 30 pairs of underwear, what are you doing with those? You're abducting these women, you're sexually assaulting them, you're making them pose or they're unconscious, and you're dressing them in what you've stolen or bought, like dolls, like mannequins. And as NASA was arrested for the alphabet murders that took place in San Francisco, people on the other side of the country near Rochester, New York, took notice as they never quite got over the murders of three young schoolgirls back in the early 1970s, between 71 and 73. And the murders had also been dubbed the alphabet killings because, again, each of the victims' first and last names shared the same initial. And disturbingly, one of the 10-year-old victims in the Rochester area carried the same name as a woman allegedly murdered by Nassau in California years later, Carmen Cologne. So same name. That is wild. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's connected, but that is a wild coincidence. Yeah, it really is. And there had been multiple suspects over the years with one failed investigation after another. Now investigators in New York say that Nassau is a person of interest, although they do point out that while a connection may exist, there are also reasons for caution. And the alphabet murders that occurred in Rochester in the early 1970s remain unsolved. Through DNA evidence, NASA was actually ruled out of the murder of Wanda Walkovitz. So he's at least not responsible for Wanda's murder, but there is still Carmen Cologne and Michelle Manza. And it should be noted that Carmen was 10 years old, Michelle was 11, and Wanda was also 11. And Nasso was born in 1934, so I think he'd be around 37, 38 around the time of these murders. So it's not impossible. Although Nasso lived in Rochester at that time, there is no evidence that directly connects him to any of those alphabet murders. So now this brings us to the trial. During a preliminary hearing, Nasso showed that while he may be older now, he was no less honorary. He accused prosecutors of misunderstanding. Here's that nonchalantness that he uses with raping women. He accused prosecutors of misunderstanding his use of the word rape, saying, quote, in my culture and where I come from, New York, it's a term for making out, scoring, getting to first base. I use that term loosely, end quote. And Tim, we know people in that age range or a little younger. Have you ever heard any of, the, of your elders ever say, oh, back in my day, the term rape was just kind of used as a loose term for making out, get together with my girlfriend and do a little rape? I mean, that's, a, that's an insane thing to say. He's obviously trying to cover his tracks. It's just not true. It's just absolutely absurd. And he goes on to say that everything was consensual. And he even boasted, quote, I could probably get half the women in this room to disrobe voluntarily, end quote. 
which is also, you know, not true. So, uh, you know, it just it do- doesn't help his previous point saying that in in court. Like, that's completely absurd. Ah, the arrogance that's just like exuding from him, even in this moment in a preliminary hearing. Yeah. And prosecutors called his former wife, Judith, then 73, to provide evidence. In a prelim hearing, she said that her former husband once told her that he had given her something to knock her out, and that twice in the summer of 1976, she believed she was drugged and sexually assaulted by him. This poor woman, she's 73 years old. This is her life now. She has to revisit her relationship to this animal and has to relive these moments where he probably manipulated her into thinking that this was something that was her fault or this was something that was normal in their relationship. Uh, She goes on to state that on one of the occasions after an evening out at a nightclub with Nasso, she was at a San Francisco hotel where she awoke to find two strange men in her bed. They were quickly, quote, scurried away, end quote, and Nasso was left standing there watching. Another time, she woke up in her own bed to find one of her husband's friends lying on top of her. This poor woman, this poor woman who has done nothing more than agree to have a partnership with this guy, this complete animal. In defending himself at the preliminary hearing, he asked his former wife if he had ever physically abused or threatened her or if she had ever heard of him harming another person. Judith responded, well, you did tell me shortly after we married that you were charged with rape. And Nassau shot back, that was back in the 50s. Good for her, though. I I, I said this poor woman before, but in in a sense of like, I feel bad that she had to live her life with this guy, but good for her for taking the stand and, and knowing that he's defending himself. So these aren't going to be questions from another attorney. This is These are coming directly from the, the man who assaulted you and, and just good for, for her for standing her ground and, and giving that information. You did tell me that you were charged with rape. I mean, that was back in the 50s, I guess, when rape wasn't you know such a serious matter to partake in. And during the trial, the prosecution claimed that Nassau drugged and photographed his victims, strangled them, and dumped their naked bodies in rural areas of Marin and Contra Costa counties in the 1970s. And the prosecution presented a total of 70 witnesses. Nassau continued to represent himself at trial, though he did not testify. He called a total of seven witnesses to the stand and insisted someone else committed the murders, that evidence was planted, and that the whole case against him was politically motivated because he's he's big into that scene. (laughs) And in his closing arguments, he told the jury he was not a monster and denied killing the women. Prosecutors put forth a trove of evidence found in Nassau's Reno, Nevada home, including the photographs and journal mentioned earlier. You know, I'm not going to get too hung up on it, but that whole thing about it being politically motivated against him is so ridiculous. It's such such an empty theory to put out there because people hear politically motivated and it opens up all of these other scenarios that that the jury's considering like politically motivated is he on track to be a, a a spokesperson for some organization or is he you know is is he politically aligned with 
you know, a, a, an organization that goes against the man. Like just putting it out there is so like a throwaway term that that is is so damaging, I think, but so empty at the same time. I mean, in today's day and age, it feels like that defense is overused. So it just it's I don't know. It's drowned out these days. I feel like again, I said I wasn't going to get too hung up on it, but it just for whatever reason annoys the hell out of me. And NASA was convicted of strangling the four victims in Northern California, each with matching initials, Roxine Ragash, Carmen Cologne, Pamela Parsons, and Tracy Tafoya. Jurors recommended the death penalty. Marin County Superior Court Judge Andrew Sweet called the 79-year-old NASA a, quote, evil and disturbed man as he handed down a sentence of death for three of the murders and a life sentence for the fourth because there was no death penalty in California at the time of Ragash's murder. And Judge Sweet said the murders were, quote, vicious, brutal, and committed with a high degree of cruelty, end quote. He said the motives for the killings was, quote, sexual in nature, planned and deliberate, end quote. And a detective working on the case in 2009, Robert Hetsky, said, you have this aura of the initials. Are they connected? Are they not connected? We don't know that. And it is possible that the double initials were a coincidence. Apparently, alliterative names were on a bit of a trend when those victims were born. And again, a big thanks to Marianne for putting together the research on Joseph Nasso. And I really hope that we do follow-up episodes on this because the psychology behind his crimes is fascinating. And I think we can learn a lot from it if we could have someone in that field to come on to speak about this. The purpose of shoplifting underwear to dress women with the the photographs how he was so organized in his detailing and his diary and just his overall arrogance when he's choosing to defend himself what he's saying to the jurors and what he's saying just in general to the court i think is really fascinating so i'd love to have somebody come on and we can go through again the psychology of the man and and his crimes and his mo i find it too hard to believe that his victims having uh, the same letter in their first and last last names is just a coincidence. But it also seems like a weird uh, way to uh, find victims. Like, how do you even go out of your way to find victims? Do you like turn down victims who don't have that? I'm just I'm confused about that whole process. Uh, I don't know that there's any academic research on that or if he was ever really spoken to about how he chose victims, but I'd be curious to learn more about that too. Yeah, me too. That's a great point because maybe there was one that was a coincidence and he recognized that and thought that that would be uh, interesting is a terrible word to use, but that would be an interesting way to commit his crimes if that's who he focused on. But how do you find that out. And again, like you said, what if you are approaching somebody and they don't have the double initials? Do you just abandon the plot or do you move forward with it and they're just not counted as those double initial victims? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. And where do you get the names when Google doesn't exist? The phone book. Well, that's actually a great point. Could be, I guess. And if you've got any information on potential other victims of NASO's, hit us up at crawlspacepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks a lot for listening.